Hello, and welcome to Radio Free CSU, the official podcast of the California Faculty Association. My name is Audrina Redman, and I'm your host for this 10-part series, Stronger Together, here on Radio Free CSU. This series is inspired by the intentional anti-racism and social justice transformation CFA began in late 2016. In each episode, we'll discuss one of our 10 guiding principles with the CFA leader activists. Our hope is that you too will be inspired to engage in an anti-racism and social justice work and join us again for more conversations about why an anti-racism social justice transformation is necessary. I'm joined today by Daryl Engen, a professor of history and chapter president of the California Faculty Association at Cal State San Marcos. Welcome, Daryl. Hi. Yeah. So Dr. Engen and I will be discussing the six of 10 CFA anti-racism social justice principles. And that principle reads, we adopt changes in organizational values, policies and practices consistent with principles of anti-racism and social justice. So listeners, what does all of that mean? We're gonna talk about that. So Daryl, let me ask you, um, what are some of the values, policies and practices CFA has embraced as part of its anti-racism social justice transformation? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think we can start from the very beginning with uh, changes to our bylaws concerning the mission statement and the mission of uh, CFA. Uh, We included anti-racism and social justice transformation in our bylaws as part of our uh, mission to really codify that, to, to make sure it was front and center and that so in everything we do, we have due consideration for that. That's, that's at the core of what we do. Uh, we also uh, changed our structure to uh, divide what was, uh, the Council of Affirmative Action had simply one representative for the entire state of California, but we've now expanded that to, and divided into North and South, so we have two uh, associate vice presidents uh, for affirmative action. Uh, we've also instituted anti-racism training uh, among uh, our members, uh, both at the leadership levels and then taking it out to the campuses with the Unconscious Bias Workshop, as well as our new uh, Interrupting Racism Workshop, a sort of phase two to that. So those are some of the things we've done organizationally. Uh, we've also, just in terms of our, our, our day-to-day practices, have made some changes as well. So for example, uh, the uh, when before any meeting before anything we do we ground in uh, we think about what it is we're doing and we uh, do that with uh, you know an awareness of these principles of anti-racism and social justice and just to give one example we always acknowledge uh, the native lands that we're on uh, the, again if these things aren't aren't made explicit if they're not discussed and you know we might know them somewhere in the background but they they don't really inform what we do when you kind of keep them in the background you have to put them uh, at the forefront Um, and so uh, we also have uh, encouraged a a policy of uh, stepping up and stepping back so that people uh, in conversations in discussions at our meetings uh, know that they are welcome to speak up but at the same time know that, hey, sometimes you have to step back and let others speak too, um, because uh, you know the, there's a history of that too. Some people seem to get to say more than others and get heard more than others. 
So we, we've, we've uh, made that a big part of what we do and encourage it in, in all of our meetings, all of our uh, gatherings. We've, we've tried to enshrine uh, some of these things into the contract as well. Uh, one really good example of that is the uh, assigned time for except, exceptional service. Um, and this was aimed primarily uh, at the, um, the issue of cultural taxation, where um, uh, faculty of color who um, are or often, LGBTQ yeah, or, or a LGBT, person with a disability. Exactly, exactly. Where, um, you know, our students uh, from uh, various groups, they will, you know, naturally go to faculty who they think can understand their issues. And so, uh, especially with the growing diversity of the CSU, um, those faculty are have, have a, a great deal more work to do uh, in addressing those concerns of our more diverse student body. And some of them, uh, you know, just have lines outside of their office doors mm -hmm. and they're doing a lot more work uh, uh, to deal with the situation and um, that needs to be recognized. They need to be compensated in some way and hence uh, that is the point of the uh, assigned time for exceptional service. Yeah, I believe it's um, Article uh, 2037 in the contract, right? So um, that's important. And I, and I also want to point out too, um, one thing we did was to study uh, the demographic changes in the CSU of our student body in terms of uh, how we've been funded over the years. And we came up with this study, uh, Equity Interrupted, it's called, uh, which is so important. And it shows, you know, in, in, in clear terms that um, as our student body uh, became more diverse, uh, the funding uh, decreased, as one faculty member put it, uh, as the student body uh, got darker, the funding got lighter. And, you know, I know some will say, yeah, but there's not necessarily a cause and effect relationship behind that, or it wasn't intentional, there's other factors. Well, that might well be the case. But the thing is about racism, intent is, is, is a relatively minor issue compared to uh, you know, consequences. And the fact of the matter is our more diverse student body is being funded at a rate, I think it's 40% of what they were fund. Uh, a less diverse student body was uh, funded at in 1985. And the effects of that, the consequences are real regardless of intent. Uh, and that spells, uh, that's bad for our students and it's bad for our communities, it's bad for our country. Uh, that's not good at all. So um, those are just some examples, I think, of, of how we've changed our structure within CFA, how in our daily practices uh, we do things, and in the policies uh, that we try to get. Oh, if, if I can say one more thing about that equity interrupted, that was really important in terms of our budget. So with that, with that data, with that study, we were able to get the, our state legislators to see uh, that we're really shortchanging our students. Um, and and shortchanging uh, California. Yeah, exactly, right, because this, this has a ripple effect out, out to the rest of California. And, and that, that was an argument that, that got them to, um, to, to increase the, that last budget uh, well over what the uh, governor was going to give us originally. So um, these things have real effects, what we're doing. So, but why is it necessary? Why, why was it necessary to change the values, policies, and practices of, in, in all respects, is a very strong little union. Mm -hmm. I remember once upon a time, CFA referred to itself as the little engine that could, which meant it had some power. So why was this necessary for it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, 
you know, to begin with, uh, labor unions are devoted to social justice in terms of labor, right? Uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, are workers uh, being compensated fairly for the work they do? Are they uh, given a workload that's appropriate and reasonable? Are they able to perform uh, their jobs, this profession that they do, in our case it's education, uh, to the best of our abilities? Are we given conditions that allow us to do that? So we were all always uh, devoted to social justice. Those are all justice issues. Um, however, um, clearly racism is an issue uh, you know, worldwide, but we've seen it so much lately uh, again in our own country. Um, uh, racism is a social justice issue. And these two things are closely connected. We can't, we can't um, deal with uh, the social justice issues involving labor without also considering race. It's just a key component in that. And, you know, I, I might be jumping ahead to some things you want to talk about later, uh, but it's pretty clear that uh, when it comes to um, exploitation of labor, um, race has been a tool uh, that has facilitated that for those who apparently don't care as much about social justice as, as we do. Um, and because of all the, the, the workers, the laborers uh, got together and, you know, using the power of collective bargaining to get fair wages, to get fair working conditions, um, uh, if they all got together to do that, uh, we should win, right? We, we have the numbers. But one of the things that's held us back uh, uh, is the fact that those uh, who don't want us to get fair wages and have reasonable working conditions and want to exploit us, um, they, um, they try to divide us. And the way that they've been able to do that for, for so much of our country's history is through race. Mm -hmm. uh, by dividing people along racial lines, they somehow convince people in one group you, you know, that people in another group, even though they're of the same class, even though uh, they're doing the same kind of work, that somehow one is more deserving mm -hmm. of, of, of things than others. And, and that they're actually, uh, it's some kind of zero-sum game where only one group can have it. And if you give it to the other group, then, you, then your group's not going to get it. Uh, or there's something wrong with the other group, and therefore they, they really don't deserve to have all that you have, or they're a threat to you somehow. And so that, that has been used time and again. I, I'm a history professor, as you noted, time and again in history for, for people in power to keep others down and exploit them. Uh, uh, and, and, and so we need to get better informed ourselves, and we need to inform others as well. Uh, uh, that this has been going on, and um, this is why we need to do this as a union. Um, uh, I can speak more to that if you want me to. Uh, please, unless you have please. Well, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, our union, it's not just any labor union. This, this concerns all labor unions, all working people, uh, and even people who aren't in unions. They should be concerned about these things, too, and maybe consider unionizing if they're not already. Um, well, I but, agree with that. Yeah, yes, but as but as educators of all people, of all working people, this this should be of the greatest concern to us, um, because you know we we have an impact on so many more people than just ourselves mm -hmm. who are in this union. We teach, you know, the the people of the state of California. The Cal State University system is the people's university system, and. Um, uh, 
if we are not informed ourselves about these things, how can we get our students to understand these things? And if they don't, then that just perpetuates a system of inequity, of unfairness, of injustice, right. and so. So, so yeah. the values and practice we undertook are, how influenced are they by the outside influences mm -hmm. of, of social, political climate in America, the, the, and, and globally, I mean, it, you know, some people like to think of a university campus as living in its own bubble. Right. Right. And so and, and immune from the outside world. Right. There are folks who think of education as a very sterile project. You come in, you learn economics, you learn the history, you learn um, uh, computer science. But that doesn't necessarily relate outside the bubble or the bubble doesn't permeate the concrete lessons that need to be learned. So how much of this is it, of what we're doing is influenced by outside or is oh, it? Yeah. Oh, it it. Totally is uh, to use my Southern California speak. Totally is, um, yeah. I you know it's a pet peeve of mine when people talk about academia not being the real world. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the real world. It's just part of the real world, and it's unique in many ways. But it's it is not in a bubble. It is very much affected by what goes on outside. Uh, and I can talk about that. Uh, just three areas that come to mind immediately are the current political situation in our country. Mm -hmm. So remind me to get back to that if I forget. Also, the, the demographics of our students. You know, the demographics of our country has changed. Uh, we have a much more diverse population of students in the CSU uh, than before, and certainly more than many other universities, private universities, or even the UCs. Um, and, and that affects, uh, you know, what the issues are on this campus and what we should be teaching and what our students want to know. And, and, and then, I mean, we have students, you know, uh, with what's going on right now with undocumented peoples in our country, quite a few of our students are undocumented. And these are, uh, many of them uh, have lived uh, in this country uh, f most of their lives, if not almost all of their lives, born here when they were, you know, uh, and or brought here when they were infants. And, um, and so, uh, we have to address these things. These issues are important to them, mm -hmm. uh, and we need to, to educate them, but when they're, uh, when undocumented students in particular are, are worried about uh, their own safety and whether they'll be able to stay in this country or get arrested the next day or when members of their family have been deported, I mean, these are issues we as faculty have to be aware of. We can't just teach our students as if they're just you know, numbers on a page and a grade book or right. something. They're people. Right. And and we have to take that into consideration both in terms of 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 how we teach and what we teach, but also in terms of their ability to learn what we teach. Right. You can't you, to receive you, the information yes. because of their own life stressors. Exactly. So be, be, even beyond uh students who are uh immigrants uh or of immigrant mm -hmm. families, there are Folks with disabilities. There's yes. the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. There are different people of, of, of color from around the globe mm -hmm. who are on our campuses and experiencing levels of anxiety. And not just students. This right. is quite frankly, right. this is faculty yes. too. Yes, it is. That's right. Um, and, yeah. and 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 staff right. on, on our university campuses who are very much affected by uh, the erosion of safeguards mm -hmm. that have mm -hmm. been fought for, hard fought for, and are in place. Exactly. Yes, with with a with a, a much more diverse uh, student body in all those ways you mentioned, you know, uh, race, 
uh, gender, uh, sexual preference, disabilities, etc., in all these different ways, um, uh, that affects us. That affects how we teach, what we teach, uh, you know, um, the, and their perspectives in terms of what's important to them. You know, the the traditional subjects they still have their place, but they're they're new issues that we have to teach about too and as educators we need to adapt to that to give students things that are relevant to their lives and into you know our our current affairs of our country and the world so that sounds like you know the classroom is one place but there's also uh, and we've already we, we know we're talking about the way CFA has has adjusted its values and its policies and practice around mm-hmm. anti-racism and social justice but there's also campus life mm-hmm. beyond the classroom. That's right. There are yeah. policies in place. There are values in place on campus. There are practices in place on campus that affect our the university community and the broader society. So, with that in mind, what what can our members expect to come out of CFA's anti-racism social justice transformation? What do what do these things really look like in action? Um, and you know, will CFA be a stronger union? for engaging in this work. Right. Well, yeah, well, that's a number of things. And, and, I, and it reminds me that I, I didn't get back to that first thing about the current political climate, for example. I mean, I don't have to name names. I don't have to, to talk, get into details. But I think everybody's aware that, that's, that there is a, a tension in our country right now uh, that we haven't seen in a while. You know, some battles that we thought were already fought and won, you know, in terms of social justice issues, somehow, apparently, they weren't one, and they're coming back again, and, and there's a lot of uh, debate about these things, and unfortunately, also a lot of violence, as we've seen, and how can that not affect what's going on on campus, and how can then what we do on campus not then have a ripple effect back mm-hmm. out into the community? Um, so so your, your, your next question about you know, how, what CFA is doing with our anti-racism and social justice transformation, how that affects what we do then, our membership, our, our faculty. Um, I mean, I can tell you personally, just in my, in my own teaching, uh, you know, I, I have become much more aware, thanks to the training I've received uh, from CFA, some of the workshops I've attended, um, just uh, to, to make these issues more a part of when I talk about history. I mean, I teach ancient history. I'm talking about ancient Greece and ancient Rome, Egypt, places like that. And you'd think that, oh, well, who cares? You know, what, what does that have to do with, with today? Or, Everything. Yeah, or these issues, you know, of anti-racism and social justice. What, what, what do these have to do with ancient Greece and Rome? Um, but they, they do. You can see, uh, you know, uh, where race pr- plays a role in some of those issues. I mean, I talk about, for example, the, the Roman Empire. It was a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multicultural, big empire. And not, you know, as a historian, I, I, I wouldn't want to oversimplify things and talk about, you know, neat, nice, you know, parallels between then and now. But there are certainly areas where you, you can learn some things, right, about how did the Romans handle this? What were their attitudes towards race, for example? Uh, and, and compare them to ours. And, and race I think, or ethnicity? Well, and that's the thing. They, they had a, a different view. They, they, they talked about it in terms of ethnicity, different nations and so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, but 
but it was a different view. For example, they were dependent on slavery for much of Roman history, um, and uh, and yet they didn't single out a single ethnic group or racial group for slavery like we did in the United States. And I've often wondered why that is. For them, anybody could be enslaved. Um, they, they, they found no reason to say that a person had to be in some way inferior or something like that to justify their enslavement. They had different values about that. They figured anybody can be enslaved. It's just luck of the, you get conquered in a, in a battle and you get captured, that's too bad for you. Somehow in the United States, we got this idea that one group mm -hmm. is the slave group. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, uh, uh, American historians, colonial historians, maybe they know the answers to how and why that happened, but this is the kind of stuff we need to teach so people understand that, you know, these injustices and, and racism, these are, these are social constructions that people chose to do as a society, and it served apparently some people more than others, that's why they did it, those people in power, and they gradually, over time, made laws, set up institutions that created these inequities. Uh, and uh, they're still with us today. We are still trying to overcome these things. But, but most people don't, don't know anything about that. They have no idea. They just think the way things are are naturally the way they are. Right. Uh, so, so dreaming... Yeah. Dreaming, because that's part of what this work mm -hmm. is. It's you, you can't get to a place if you're not dreaming mm -hmm. about what that place is. Uh, what, what do our members, or what can our members expect? Mm -hmm. uh, where, do, where would I, if you were to say to our members, where are we going mm -hmm. with this? What would you say? Mm -hmm. Well, internally with CFA, I would think we would have a more powerful union, a more effective union. If you just want to talk about it in practical terms, it's, it, it, justice doesn't matter, but I hope it does to be mm -hmm. a more just uh, union, but also a more powerful and more effective union, because union power all comes through unity. It's 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 the power of numbers, right. and excluding anybody, uh, it's that's counterproductive. Well, but but, but, but we there, people can be included. I right. mean, we have affirmative action. We have right. diversity programs, and right. there's representation. Right. But that doesn't mean inclusion. That doesn't mean. That yeah. there's voice. Yeah, representation, or you know, to, to put it bluntly, tokenism. Yes. I mean that that doesn't that doesn't cut it because racism is about power. Mm -hmm. And just you know, just to be represented is not the same thing as having really any any real power. Right. And I mean, and and I think we've seen that in our own union. We we, we do a pretty good job of representation. Our board, uh, you know, is, is a very diverse body. But that doesn't mean that everybody has equal say. On that board, it doesn't mean that decisions are being made with all voices considered, and that's something we've really tried to to. I mean, it's obviously you, solving these things overnight; it's not going to happen. It's right. a process, right? Right. But we've started that process by encouraging, by embracing the the idea that people can speak up, that that we shouldn't keep silent if if we perceive something that's not right, that there's an inequity, that there is something was offensive or that people should call it out, should speak yeah. up. And that has yeah. happened. And it has happened, definitely. Uh, the, the, there is that culturist building in our union. Uh, I see that. And, um, and, and in fact, and we're trying to spread that out beyond just, you know, within the confines of our union meetings and so forth and our leadership out to, the, to our membership as a whole through these workshops. 
we had the unconscious bias workshop, which is still going strong, but now we have the phase two, the interrupting racism, which is designed particularly to 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 bring these things up to the to the service to have to 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 get people uh, uh, able to to have these difficult conversations right. to find productive ways of calling these things out. Uh, rather than you know either not saying anything and having all these tensions right. under the surface or, 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 or unproductive call outs right. where it just and people get defensive or right. arguing and nothing so, so a way a way that we say that is is we're calling in mm-hmm. the elephant we're acknowledging that yeah. the elephant is here mm-hmm. and let's talk about that in a loving way rather than condemning right yeah exactly knowing that we're, we're all in this together. We have shared interests in this union as union members, as educators, as, you know, citizens of the world uh, to do this. It's in our interests. Yeah. So, you know, so that's the work that we're doing. And a lot of these changes took place at the broader organizational mm-hmm. level. So at the elected officers mm-hmm. and the assembly. How does that translate down to the 23 campuses mm-hmm. and our was it 27, 28,000 members? Mm-hmm. How, do they, how do they know that this is happening? How are they feeling uh, that this is happening? It, who, who are these people doing the work? Right. Well, you know, uh, th- there's an organization, the union, right? And it has its, you know, its chapter uh, representation. We have our chapter board members and chapter presidents. Uh, and they then, uh, on the campus level, uh, they put on events, they put on workshops, uh, and so through that means alone, you, you're already starting to filter out to the rest of the faculty and those who do the workshops, those who come to the events. It is, the, the hope is that they, they take these things to heart and they employ it in their own lives, in their own careers and how they teach and the research they do and so forth. Um, but then they also, you know, uh, talk to other faculty members about this too in their department meetings or an academic senate meeting or some committee uh, where they're, they've learned, for example, from doing the interrupting racism workshop on how to, as you say, call in the elephant and, and, and uh, you know, if, if something is said or done that doesn't seem, you know, quite equitable or, you know, perhaps even racist, that, that there's a productive way of addressing that. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, you know, hopefully, again, people will become more enlightened about these things. And through those means, these things filter out farther and farther. So that's just among the faculty. But then we hope, too, uh, you know, and I don't think it's a hope. I think it's, it's, it's happening and it will continue to happen is with our students. Right. And when we when we take that consciousness that we've had from the trainings, from from this commitment to anti-racism and social justice transformation, we take that into our classrooms. It filters out not just then on our campuses among our students, but they take it out in the communities. Just, it's, I mean, it's creating a lens. Exactly. I see this. I'm not afraid of it anymore mm-hmm. because I've had dialogue about this, and it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to acknowledge what it is. Right. Because if you don't acknowledge it, we can't change it. That's right. And, you know, in the classroom, you talk about some of these issues, you can have some real, you know, tense discussions and, and you know, uh, and people can sometimes say offensive things or, you know, and and so we as faculty, we need to know how to deal with that. We need to know how to make those conversations constructive. And so what CFA is doing is geared in part towards that very thing. And so hopefully our students then, they get something out of it and they take it with them into their careers, to their families, to their communities, 
uh, and you get this sort of ripple effect uh, on out. That's that's the plan. Yeah, from 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 top to bottom, mm-hmm. and from bottom to top, <laughs> and, and it's from bottom to top because yes. because one of the reasons we're doing this is because we're being informed by these changes, by our changing student demographics, you know, by what's going on outside in the political world and so forth. Uh, you know, so it gets brought to us when 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 we have you know I I. I I've had this happen in my own uh, classes sometimes, uh, uh, some uncomfortable uh, discussions where I felt, you know, a few years ago, un, you know, really, I didn't know what to do. How do I handle this, right? So that's what's informed us as a union to, mm-hmm. you know, in part, um, among so many other things, to, to do this kind of work so that then we are prepared for those things. So it is bottom up as well as top down. It's a circle, really. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Daryl. Daryl Ing, Dr. Daryl Ingen, history professor at Cal State University San Marcos and chapter president of the CFA chapter at Cal State San Marcos. That's the end of our podcast for today, but do join us again for more conversations discussing the 10 guiding principles of CFA's anti-racism and social justice transformation. Remember, transformation is an action verb, meaning a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. For Radio Free CSU, I'm Audrina Redmond.